Well, you know, I, I'm really excited about Joshua and Katrina. Not only uh, have they been going through the adoption, we can kind of commiserate together because there's so much paperwork that you have to do when it comes to adoption and stuff. But uh, it's really cool for the church to be excited, uh, not only for their adoption, but also her pregnancy. And I, I do want to thank you, Ken. I do want to uh, uh, pray for them. I'm not going to drag them back up here, but uh, I do want to pray for them again. But I, I, it made me wonder if the angels clap in heaven when another human becomes a believer in Christ, when they're adopted into God's family. How cool would that be, you know? Uh, so, you know, just that's where my mind kind of goes off on. So you see all the tangents that my mind hit. Well, if you will grab your Bibles, we are back in the book of Colossians this morning. And we're going to be in Colossians 3. Colossians 3, 1. And, and um, it, since it's been a few weeks since we kind of skipped through Coloss- or skipped through with, with our Christmas season, we kind of did a Christmas series, I wanted to kind of go back and recap a little bit of, of where we were at in Colossians. So we're uh, Colossians 3.1. It says, Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now let me remind ourselves where we were. And and remind ourselves that, that the things that we're talking about here really have, are, are really available to, to the world as a whole, but the application of these things are for Christians. So often we just say, well, man, if the world would, you, you know, last night I was kind of reading, uh, I was going, flipping through my, my Facebook, and they announced the lottery numbers, and, and one of the comments was, if the world would just, just give, you know, get Jesus, and I agree with that statement, if the world would just get Jesus, but, but I automatically thought, man, if, if the Christians would just act like Christians, then more of the world would get Jesus. You see my point? These things that Paul, the list that we went through last time, we're going to kind of go through it again this time, um, uh, rather a little more quickly than we did last time. But the things that are listed here, you know, we can look at as, oh, this is our don't list. We don't do this, we don't do that, and, and heaven forbid we do that, you know. And, and we look at it as a, as a thing of, of list of do's and don'ts in our Christian walk, when in reality is our love for the Lord ought to proceed in our life, ought to go before us in our life, to the point of, it's not necessarily a list of do's and don'ts. It's desires of, I want to please my father. My child wants to please me. So he's always checking with me. Am I do- Daddy, is this okay? Daddy, is this okay? When he does something wrong, he immediately says, Daddy, I'm sorry. Because he doesn't know what else to say at that point. You know, and part of me says, sorry, he's not doing it. You know, <laughs> you've done that six times now. Sorry, he doesn't cut it. You know, but it, that's what he knows at this point. But those who have received Christ, Christians, we cannot expect the world to follow the things that we follow. We cannot put that onus on them. Only the Lord can hold them accountable for their actions. These instructions are for Christians. And for those who have accepted his burial and resurrection, for those who who have gone down that path, we cannot expect the world to act like this because it's impossible for them, because they do not have the Holy Spirit in their life to help them along. I have a hard enough time with, 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 you know, with sin just like anybody else does. You know what I'm saying? We're sitting there going, oh, I blew that one again. I shouldn't have said that. You know? And, and you know, without the Holy Spirit, 
every day active in our life, we have enough issues. So how can we expect the world to do this? So if we truly do and seek what Paul says, which he says, if you are raised in Christ, then act like it. You know, my father used to say, Alan, you're an oar. And that meant certain things. My last name is Orr, okay, for those that don't know. That meant certain things. That meant, Alan, you need to act like the Orrs act. And we have, you know, my father set up expectations on how we acted as we grew up. All those things that he used to say. And what's what Paul's saying? Alan, you're a Christian, so act like it. Therefore, you know what the Lord expects of you. If you were raised with Christ, then act like it. And, and I don't mean raised since, since birth. But once you become a Christian, you start, you start seeing the expectations that the Lord has for our life. And again, I want you to get rid of the list idea, the, the whole, well, I have to do this and I can never do that. I, I want to get that. We do it out of the love that we have for Christ. If you go to a Bible-believing church, if you are te- you know, taught the Bible like you are here, then there's some expectations that the Lord has on us and he holds us accountable. So the first thing he says is what? Set your hearts on things above. Now, when my child is not listening to me, what do I do? Put my hand under his chin, and I lift his head so he's looking at my eyes. I get his attention. Chin up. I want you to look at me. I want you to understand me. I want you to listen to me. This is exactly what Paul is saying. Set your eyes upon the Lord. Raise your chin and look to God. Set your mind on his ways. Align your focus in, in, in what he says and what he means. Put your mind on heavenly things. And he goes on, he says in verse 3, For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Therefore, verse 5, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, and this is where we get the word pornography. The word here is porneia. Well, thanks, Paul. I had my mind on on heavenly things. You said set my mind, and now you're mentioning earthly things. What is Paul doing? He's being honest. Sometimes we need somebody to be honest with us. Have you ever been to that point where you're sitting there going, that person came to you and they were honest with you, and it made you mad? I can't believe they're judging. And in the back of your mind, you're sitting there going, that's exactly what I needed to hear. Somebody being honest with, with maybe my actions that weren't kosher, my actions that, that were wrong. Maybe I was talking about somebody and they said, yeah, you know, you really, Alan, what are you saying? What are you doing? Uh, you really shouldn't be saying that. And somebody's being honest with you. That's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, hey, guys, I'm being honest. Impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. The Apostle Paul is so clear on these things. Put them to death in your life. That means cut them out. There's no ambiguity here. He is very specific here. Because these things masquerade as fun and exciting. But then reality strikes. Ask anyone who's ever been pregnant with a child before they were ready for it. Before they were married. Ask Charlie Sheen if he regrets his decisions about sleeping around. Now he's dealing with AIDS. I mean, big man on campus, one of the highest paid television actors, now dealing with AIDS because of his actions. Ask anyone who's ever destroyed their marriage and and the life of their kids because of sexual relations outside of marriage. It was fun at the time. 
Ask anyone who suffers from guilt or shame of of maybe something they've done in their life. Paul is saying, raise your gaze and put these things to death in your life. Because these things stir God's wrath. Now, let me say this, let, let me add this caveat here. There's nothing that we can do in this life that can, that can, uh, that can well, let me rephrase this, that God will not forgive. Do you understand that? There's always a road to redemption. There's always a road back to God. No matter what we've done, God has always said, man, ask me forgiveness, and that thing is out of my mind. So don't hold on to that shilt, uh, that, shilt that, that guilt and shame. Don't hold on to that. But at the same time, we need to, to make sure these things are out of our life because they stir God's wrath. You know, He loves us, and He created our bodies in His image. We are living images of God. Therefore, God does not want this image to be doing certain things. Do you understand that? It's like with your own children. You don't want them doing certain things because who do they represent? They represent you in a certain way. So Paul is, you know, he's, he's opposed to us using our bodies for these things. Now, God wants us to have fun. He wants us to have so much fun for our whole life. He doesn't want us to destroy our bodies so early in life that we can't have fun. You know, not just fun for one instance. He wants us to, uh, you know, he wants anything that we do now to be fun for us later. Because real fun wouldn't hurt another person like that. You see what I'm saying? Real fun wouldn't, uh, wouldn't leave a person with a disease. See, God says no to certain things because he knows something. It's the something that we often learn too late, that what we're doing can hurt us. The sin disguised as fun belongs to the world, and it brings nothing but pain and pain and more pain. So because of his great love for us, his anger is stirred. Now, as Christians, we get confused. How can a loving God ever get mad? You know, we hear this all the time. How can God allow that? How can God get mad? Well, you know, I mean, that, being mad and being angry doesn't mean hateful. Just because I disagree with my child's actions and I'm upset at what he does doesn't mean I hate my child, right? I mean, you guys know how much I love my children. Just because someone confronts you doesn't mean that they're hating on you. God confronts us. He does. But our actions judge us, not God. See, it's our actions that do the judging. He points out how our actions are judging us, and God says no to us because he loves us. Certain things, I I don't let my child use certain knives. Why? They're sharp. I don't want him accidentally cutting a finger off. God's doing the same thing with sin in our lives. Then in verse 5, Paul Paul adds this sin that, you know, at first glance doesn't really fit. Paul says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. He throws out idolatry here and, and, you know, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Why is greed listed with other, like, sexual sins or other sins that are like that? Well, greed is lusting grabbing or or hoarding or never being satisfied. When somebody else has so little, you know, we want more. 
you know, evil desires. The Greek word here is covetedness. It's the, you know, the idea of I want what you have. See, this is idolatry because you're saying to God, you're not a very good God for not providing for me. I mean, $900 million lottery last night. God, why didn't you provide? I could have used that, right? And now I'm mad at you because you didn't provide. Well, maybe you're just waiting because now it's gone up to $1.3 billion. Maybe that's what you're waiting on, God. <laughs> See, this is like Israel in the desert. You know, they, they've escaped from Egypt and God has miraculously saved them. Uh, you know, going across the waters, uh, you know, he splits the, uh, the, the, the sea and they go across and he saves them and all that kind of stuff. And God is providing um, food for them every day. And what do the Israelites do? Hey, son, come here. Here's an extra basket. When you go out, steal some of your neighbor's manna because we need some in case God doesn't provide tomorrow. That's exactly what they were doing. They were wanting more. Idolatry is in the Ten Commands. Uh, you know, we call them the Ten Commandments, and, and they represent that like 614 uh, or 622, depending on how you look at it, commands that he gives. But in the Ten Commands, it's in at least three of them that I could find. Love the Lord your God. In other words, don't put an idol before God. And then the second one's don't make idols. In idolatry, don't, you know, don't pray to a, to a picture or, or a statue. Don't, don't pray to a rock or, or a piece of wood that is painted. Don't do that. It's not about the item. It is about God. And then you have the 10th command that you shall not covet. Nothing of your neighbors, nothing, you know, their servants, their wife, their, their money, their possessions, their status, their appearance, their relationships, their boat. Oh, their boat. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 wait. I adopted I was supposed to get a boat, and I adopted. Okay, 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 it's, it's fine. God says, I will have none of that out of you. Paul says, put these things to death, and for good reason, because look at verse 6. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. Paul says, Let, you know, let's not let these five things rule our lives any longer, just waiting to see if lightning is, will, will ever hit. Think of Charlie Sheen again. Lightning struck. Now, I grew up in, in a small town of 30,000 people, Deer Park, Texas, outside of the, large, you know, the fourth largest city uh, in the United States, Houston. And when I was old enough, my parents bought this great, really cool thing for Deer Park. It was called the Park Pass. And it was really cool to have one of these because we had, you know, all summer the park would be open and we had this really cool park. I mean, you could ride bikes all over the place. You could jump, you know, you know, ride your bikes in the ditches and jump out of them. Well, we ended up in the ditch several times, but it was all fun, you know. I mean, they had a game room. They had an indoor basketball court. They had tennis. They had racquetball. I mean, it was a really, really, really huge, huge pool. For some reason, over the years, that pool's gotten smaller as I've gotten bigger. But it was huge back then, you know? Had a high-dive board for those that, that weren't chicken, um, scaredy cats. And they had a low one for those, you know? We had a blast there all summer. And my parents were so gracious to buy us these passes. It had nothing to do with getting us out of their hair at all. Nothing on that end. 
But one thing always happened, well, I say always, on many days throughout the summer, one thing always happened about 3 p.m. every day. A thunderstorm would roll in. I mean, we had the Gulf, we had, you know, all the California weather goes across the United States, or goes this way, across the United States, and, and the Gulf weather would come up, so it would collide right there, you know, Houston on the Gulf and all that kind of stuff. So 3 p.m., it would start raining. In Texas, we have, don't, we don't have these little kind of misty showers that we have out here, you know? Now, it's been raining a little harder lately, okay? But, you know, a lot of times we get the misty stuff. No, it rains, you know? I mean, you can see it coming. There's a wall of rain, and it's dry right here, and it's just coming right for you. Well, along with that, you get thunder and lightnings, really huge storms. So anytime a lifeguard would see a you know, storm brewing up, what would he do? Start blowing his whistle. Get out of the pool. Hurry up. Get out of the pool. Everybody get out of the pool. I mean, they're ruining our fun. Now, we'd go out and just ride bikes all over the place, but, you know, we'd have to be out of the pool right then. Now, one thing I noticed growing up is this. Lightning never struck that pool. I mean, I Googled it. Even till today, lightning has never struck the Deer Park, Texas school. I mean, the, the, the city swimming pool. Never. And yet, they always made us get out. See, the Apostle Paul is one of those lifeguards who obnoxiously blows his whistle when we think we're having fun. See, our lifeguards are, are the Apostle Peter who writes about heaven and hell. Our lifeguards are, are, you know, the Apostle John who went to heaven and wrote about hell. Our lifeguard is Jesus who was very clear in many of his parables about the great, great feast in the end where some would be able to come in and some would not. How the sheep and goat would be separated. And the master who, who gives you something will hold you accountable for what he's giving you. And he's not going to compare you to everybody else. He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? He's really clear, just like the days of Noah. Even when the religious people would say, you know, I'm really not sure if there's a hell out there. Do you hear that all the time today? Not really sure there's a hell out there. Would a loving God really do that to people? There are many roads to God. This is what all the world says. I know God better than, uh, than the Apostle Paul and better than Jesus. So, so let's redefine what God's wrath means because, you know, this is out of God's character. He would never do this. That's what we're saying when we go against the Word of God. This is what Jesus uh, meant when he said, just like in the days of Noah. Because Noah was building a boat in the middle of a plain where nowhere near water because God said, get ready. So we can find ourselves with a choice. We can gamble with sin and not get out of the pool and figure God has changed. The laws of physics have changed because have you ever seen lightning hit a pool? You can look it up. What happens when lightning hits water? The electricity goes out. Well, do you want to take your chance and leave all the kids in the pool and kill a whole bunch of them? Or hurt a whole bunch of them? Absolutely not. So what do you do? You obnoxiously blow the whistle and say, get out. That's what Paul's doing. Get out of your sin. I'm obnoxiously blowing my whistle. What you're doing, what you think is fun, is not fun. In the end, I'm blowing my whistle. So we can gamble with sin. See, this is what we do when we cookie-cut the Bible. 
Take what we like and leave the rest. Oh, man, I, we see this all the time. This is why it's good, you know, and I've always said, I grew up with topical teaching, and, and I'm not opposed, hey, somebody teaches the Bible, that's a good thing, as long as it's in context, you know what I'm saying? But that's why I like the way I teach, because when I started learning this way under a person who taught really well, I mean, phenomenal teacher of the Word of God, it was verse by verse, and I went, wow, it made so much more sense to me. Because I couldn't cookie cut the Bible. I couldn't go, oh, I really love this verse. Oh, I'm just going to ignore that verse. Because it all goes together. You can do, you can do that. You can cookie cut or do what I suggest. Read and read and read the Bible. Ask God who he is and follow his ways. We don't have to understand everything about God to follow his ways, do we? You know, some people are like, well, I need to know everything before I can, you know. Really? Do you understand the computer, how the computer operates in your car? Well, if you don't, then you shouldn't get in your car. I mean, that's the same philosophy, right? How dare you even get in that car if you don't understand every little nuance about that car and how the computer operates? You know, the other day, my son and I had a conversation about, he's like, well, the seatbelt is loose, Dad, because I let him sit in the little, you know, booster seat instead of his big harness thing, you know? And he's like, the seatbelt's loose. I said, well, the computer in the car, if I slam on the brakes, knows to tighten that seatbelt. So don't worry, you're not going to go flying through the car. And he's like, really? And he's like playing with it. You know, he doesn't understand that, but he's still getting in the car because he trusts us. We don't have to understand everything. We don't understand about God. We don't understand about his justice and his wrath. But Paul says in verse 4, we are in Christ and we will be in Christ, or with Christ in glory. We will be okay if we follow God. In this life, when we repent of the things that we do that stir God's wrath. See, one way to stir God's wrath is to sin against other people. Oh, man. It is so weird. So weird to understand that every one of us are God's favorite. God is capable of that. I mean, if you have multiple children in your family, it's hard because they're always thinking, oh, mom favors him or mom favors that one or dad favors that one or what. And God has the ability to favor each and every one of us. We are God's favorite. So when you sin against another person, you're sinning against God's favorite. Don't do that. Now, verse 8 and 9, he gives us another list. But remember in, in verse 1 and 2, he, he gives us some, some action steps. He says, set our hearts and our mind on the things of God. So we go after, we pursue, we track down, we, we focus, we establish, we lock on to. You see my point? We set our mind. And then he goes on and says, put to death sinful activity. Now in verse 8, it says to rid ourselves. It's like taking off a, a filthy shirt. The other night at 3 a.m., my wife woke me up, had grace in her arms, and she goes, you take them. I went, Okay. So I took Grayson, and he immediately falls asleep in my arms. And I'm like, what was your problem? You know? So I'm with him, and 
6 a.m., he cries a little, you know, kind of whimpers a little bit. And Because I, I held him from 3 to 6 just because he had had a hard, long night. He just was not, you know, six-month-old, not sleeping that well at that point. So I, I just made sure he stayed asleep, you know, and I sort of kind of slept. Well, then at 6 a.m., he starts whimpering. Next thing I know, he's leaked out of his diaper and peed all over me. <laughs> Man. So Lisa gets up, and I go, you take him. So I change shirts and go get cleaned up. And about 45 minutes later, I'm, I'm feeding him. And he starts crying, and he throws up all over me. I'm like, you take him. So I go and change and, and, and all that. And, and then later, then I go take uh, Brandon to school, and, and a neighbor pulls out of, uh, out of his driveway. And I, I just opened my Diet Coke because I hadn't had breakfast or anything that morning. And, and I went to wave at him. Man, all down my shirt. So then I get back home, and Brandon, you know, we kept him that day because he was sick, and I was holding him again. He throws up on me again. This is like my fourth or fifth shirt for the day, and I'm just like, ah, you know? And this is what Paul is saying. He's saying, Alan, go change that filthy shirt that you have on. Don't keep that on. But what do we do with sin? Ah, we're peed on. Sorry. We're threw up on, you know, thrown up on. We got food all over us, and we keep the shirt on. We're filthy in sin because we don't ask for forgiveness. But now you must rid yourselves of such things as these: anger, rage, malice, and malice is like a grudge, slander, and filthy language from your lips. You see, God loves us so much and too much to allow us to have these behaviors in our life. Now, as an adult, I use the word stupid, okay? It's probably stupid for me to use the word stupid because it makes me look stupid, right? Is that what they always say to you? And so a lot of times I use the word idiot or idiotic, you know, or something like that. But my son has started picking up on the word stupid. This stupid game. No, 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 son. We, we, I know daddy uses that and daddy shouldn't use that. I don't want you to learn that word. Stop using that word. You know, so we're trying to teach him, which has actually helped me correct some, you know, when I'm driving, I don't say idiot so much, you know. That idiot pulled in front of me. Really, daddy? That idiot did. Okay, okay, no, 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 no. So I start, you know, trying to tamper down how I say things. You see, God loves us so much that he wants us to get rid of these things, these behaviors, because it robs us of our joy. In the end, you know, none of these things help us. When do we make the biggest mistakes in our life? When we're angry. We say the things that we probably wouldn't say. We may even do things that we probably shouldn't do when we're angry. We blow it when we have malice with another person. You know, it confuses our children when we have filthy language that comes out of our lips. It confuses our wives when we go to a men's breakfast or or go to church and then we turn around and scream and cuss at them. It confuses our coworkers when we talk about church and then we turn around and we slander another person in the office. It confuses people because they say, you're a Christian, you're acting just like the world. And Paul's saying, you need to cut that out. The jokes, the innuendos, it's confusing to the world. They laugh, but at the same time, they're sitting there going, I thought they went to Valley Christian Church. Hmm. Remember what Jesus says. 
It's not what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man. Or it's, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. I messed that one up. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man. It's what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man because it comes from the heart. Hmm. So we think, maybe I need to change my language. Well, yeah, that's part of it, but really you need to straighten out the heart. It's the heart. Because what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. Correct the heart and the language follows. Verse 9, it says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. So we don't deceive each other. We don't outright lie. The other day I was meeting with somebody and they, they said something. I said, oh, no, 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 we would never do that. And then later I found out, oh, we, we did do that. And I had to text them and say, oh, by the way, I found out that this is what was going on. And I apologize, you were correct on this, but we won't be doing that. You know, see what I'm saying? Because my expectation was we wouldn't be doing that. And uh, I mean, you don't have to know all the ins and outs. But I went back and said, hey, look, I, no, I, I, you probably thought I was lying to you. I wasn't lying. I, I didn't know at that point. We have to go back and say we're sorry. We have to go back and say you were correct. We don't lie to each other. You see, God just doesn't say, sorry, that is it. We don't need to go to God and just say, sorry. No, He helps us with new clothes. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden, the ultimate beginning of sin. They're hiding. They're, they're out, you know, they're, they're, they're afraid to even walk, uh, you know, where God may come and show up because they're, they're afraid of how God's going to view them now. And what does he do? He makes them clothes, new clothes. He says in verse 10, And have put, the, uh, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of, uh, of its creator. He is recreating us in his image. We are made new according to His image. In His image, you and I, we are God's image. I mean, there's so much more than the list of things to knock off. There's so much more to go, oh, I don't do that anymore. Check. Okay, I'm a better Christian now. There's so much more to being a Christian and living, you know, representing God than just a list. The Lord helps us get rid of the old stuff. We should trust Him. Sometimes, you know, with my child, I'm like, Brandon, you need to trust me. Son, what you have in your hand, that is going to hurt you. Trust me. And you build that trust. That's the same thing that we do with God. God builds that trust with us. And we're like, no, 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 I want that. No, son, that is sharp. That is going to hurt you. I mean, as a parent, would you ever go, oh, sure, go ahead and play with that razor blade. No big deal. When you're done, just put it back. Well, God's not going to do the same thing. Oh, sure, go ahead and have that affair. Go ahead and and do what you're doing that's full of sin. Go ahead and do that. And when you're done, just come on back. Now, God will accept us back when we're done. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm not saying God's going to reject us, but I'm saying God just doesn't go, sure, if that's what you want to do. Because sin never works out, especially sexual sin. It never works out. Why wear the shirt that has been peed on and spit up on? No, we we change it out for something that's clean. We change it out. 
Anger? How do we look when we're angry? (laughs) Why is it more that a person drinks the more angry they become sometimes? An angry drunk is not a good person, are they? Oh, man. You got to knock it off. We got to stop compromising. If we willingly take off the filthy clothes, he's immediately there to put on the new clothes. It's interesting with Brandon. He loves to, to dress up and play, and, you know, but it, his dress-up is not like dresses and stuff like that. It's, it's ninja things. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's got the outfit, and we got an embroidery machine. It even has his name on it. You know, he, he's all excited. The mask, the sword holder, and you know, he, switch, he switches out the swords depending on what fight he's going into. You know, he's got the lava sword, he's got the lightning sword, he's got the ice sword, the, the freeze sword. And man, if you got the freeze sword, you, you got to watch out. He freezes you and you have to stand there. Or, you know, a lot of times I'm like, let me sit down first, you know. Don't freeze me yet. And I'm sure there's several more that I can't remember. But he's always doing things to get more power. It's like, hey, Dad, I just beat a, a bad guy and I got 67,000, 100,000 powers. Okay. Whew. I just ran from my room to your chair, Dad, and I got more powers. Now, what's interesting, when he dresses up like this, he becomes the ninja. You know what I'm saying? In his mind, he is totally a ninja. And he fights off the bad guys, and he has a blast. And, of course, he calls little Grayson his ninja in training, you know. And Grayson just sits there and watches him play. Now, what is my point here? <laughs> oh, He becomes a ninja when he puts on the clothes. And in some ways, when Paul says, put this stuff on, that's exactly what he's talking about. Become what? Put this on and I will help you become that. And what is that we're talking about? Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Oh, man. We have to bear with each other. And we have to forgive whatever grievances you might have against one another. You mean when somebody in the church makes me mad, I have to forgive them? Forget that. I'll just go to a new church. My wife says, no, you can't. You're the pastor. So anyway... Forgive whatever grievances you have with, against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love. And this is the final cloak. This is the jacket. This is what makes you the ninja. You know what I'm saying? Which binds them all together in perfect unity. And we're going to go through you know, a lot more of that next week. But, but we are God's chosen people. We are holy, and being holy means that we are set apart. We are dearly loved. We are, you know, we are the object of God's perfect love. How awesome is that? We'd be crazy to, to keep swimming in the sin pool. I'd be crazy to stay in my filthy clothes that, that you know, Grayson did stuff all over and then go out to a meeting. People look at you like you were weird. That's Okay. As Christians, sometimes they do look at us weird because we're clean. Clothe yourselves with compassion. We need to look to others' needs and not ourselves first. Not noticing when things are are done wrong to us. 
You know, a lot of people, you can tell them by the clothing, right? Police officer walks in. You know, he's a police officer. I don't look like the typical pastor, so when I drove up last night when the alarm was going off, policeman said, who are you? Now, if I would have been in the khakis and polo or button, yeah, they would have known I was a pastor. You know what I'm saying? But a fireman, they show up, you know it's a fireman. A nurse, you know it's a nurse. I mean, you can go on and on. The same way, when Christians put all of this on, people in the world ought to be able to identify us. Yep, that's a Christian. That's why they're acting that way. That's why they're helping that family. Man, that's why they're so loving. When in uniform, you speak and act a certain way, and you expect, you know, police officer, you expect a mature policeman knows how to conduct themselves, right? We hold them to a standard, right? Society needs that. As Christians, we ought to be held to a standard in the same way, because the world looks to the church and says, foul, foul, throw the flag. Man, that was, <laughs> you're not acting like Christ right there. 15-yard penalty. Put your uniform on for work is what Paul says. As God's chosen people, holy and dearly, dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with one another, and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. The world will know us by one thing, how we treat each other, how we love each other. So this week, this is what I want you to do. Every day when you get dressed, think about this. Think about being clothed in Christ. Every day when you go out and you see a person in uniform, whether it's a policeman or fireman at the store, wherever it is, you identify somebody by their uniform a lot of times. Think about this. Think about the things of God and how He clothes us. Because remember, we're wearing the uniform of God, and it's a reflection of what you believe. And ask the Holy Spirit to remind you to put off your old self to take off the clothes that have been you know, sinful, that are all dirty, and put on the things of God. Amen? Amen. Well, why don't you stand, and I'll pray for us as we get done today. Lord, I thank you for the great reminder that it's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's about who we represent in this life. It's about your love. It's about feeling holy because you have made us holy. It's about feeling clean because you have cleansed us when we ask for forgiveness. We pray that your Holy Spirit helps us with that every day because it's so hard to live in this world sometimes. Yet when we look to you, you provided a helper for us. I pray that when we see those uniforms this week, Lord, that we're reminded of, of your great love for us, that you have clothed us, that you want us to represent you and how we love each other and how we love the world. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. May His face never turn from you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.